Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you again for the Lord Jesus. And we ask now that you'd help us to wrestle with his words, to see your gospel of grace and to see your greatness and holiness. Lord, please help us to respond with faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To start off tonight, here's what I want us to do. I want everyone to close their eyes. Close your eyes and notice. What can you see? Nothing, right? Hopefully you can see nothing. If you can, that's not normal. You should get that checked out. But when you close your eyes, you see darkness, don't you? Now, I considered turning off the lights in here, but that's probably not totally safe, so you have to use your imagination. When you close your eyes, it's dark. But what I want you to do is to imagine even deeper darkness than when your eyes are closed. In fact, imagine total darkness. Darker than when you close your eyes. Darker than when the sun is gone for the day. Darker than when there's no lights in the sky at all. Darker without dark, as dark as if there was no streetlight. In fact, no source of light to be seen anywhere. And now imagine it getting even darker than that. Imagine that you cannot escape this darkness. And wherever you look, wherever you search, with your eyes wide open, you cannot see anything. Imagine that darkness is all that you will experience for the rest of your life. How would it feel to experience that kind of darkness? What would you feel? What kind of things? Fear? Confusion? Disorientation? Hopelessness? Despair? You can open your eyes now and realize, hey, we're not in total darkness. Good news. But darkness is how the Gospel of John describes the state of the world. This world is in the darkness of sin and God's judgment. The darkness of death, which hangs over every person. This world is dark. Unable to see, people are unable to see in front of themselves to know what to do to know how to find God, live for Him, and have life. That's the picture that the Gospel of John gives us of us, apart from Christ, of this world without Jesus. And in that darkness, in that dark world that we live in, Jesus makes this outlandish claim in the first verse of our passage. I am the light of the world. This morning I woke up and it was completely dark. I looked outside and I was very depressed to be up at that time in the morning. But within an hour, the sun was up, the sky was as blue as it could be, and it was bright as it ever could be imagined. The sun was in full effect. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am like that blazing sun shining in the dark world. Now, Jesus says this in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's explore it together. Let's remember where we're up to in the story. Do you remember last week we looked at that peculiar passage at the beginning of chapter 8? This passage, the woman caught in adultery. And Phil explained to us that actually this passage isn't found in the earliest copies of John that we have. So John didn't originally write it. He didn't originally put it here. 
So that means, look in your Bible, that our passage today continues off where we left off two weeks ago. Chapter 7 finishes, and then bang, we get chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again. So, we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. There's hustle and bustle everywhere. Jesus makes his sneak appearance at the Feast of Tabernacles. Halfway through, he makes his grand appearance in the temple. He's teaching. He's causing a stir. The crowds are amazed, and the Jewish leaders are not. Because Jesus says things like, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. When there is ceremonial water being poured out all over the temple. He says, this festival points to me. I give the life-giving spirit. I bring God's provision and salvation. I will give eternal life. And so this makes the Jewish leaders cranky. So we get our passage, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus continues to say outlandish things and bother the Jewish leaders. Look at verse 12 with me. Then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't this one of Jesus' most famous sayings ever? What does it mean? What is Jesus saying when he says this? Well, let's think about it from a few angles. First of all, think about light across the whole Bible. Throughout the Bible, God is the one who gives light. Right at the very beginning, he's the one who said, let there be light. And then he made the sun, moon and stars to give us light day and night. God guided Israel through the wilderness with a pillar of fire, light. His glory is described as blazing light. The psalm we read before, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Light comes from God. It represents what is good, what is pure, his salvation. And so Jesus, what is he saying? He's saying, I am from God. I am good. I am glorious. I am righteous. But he's saying even more than that. Think about it from another perspective. Because throughout the Bible, that image of light It came to mean the Messiah, the age that the Messiah would bring in. The prophet Isaiah said, light is dawning on a dark world. Isaiah 49 says, God says, it's not enough for me, sorry, it's not enough for you, Messiah, to be my servant. Raising up the tribes of Jacob, I will also make you a light for the nations. To be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Israel was looking forward to a light that would shine in the darkness. The Messiah, Jesus says, I am that light. I am the promised Messiah who has come to bring salvation. To bring people out of the darkness of sin and death and God's judgment. And he says, I'm the light of the world. I am the Messiah who's come to bring light, that is God's salvation, not just to Israel, but to the nations. Just as Isaiah said, the ends of the earth. And all of this was made even more vivid because of the festival of tabernacles. Speaking of vivid, who actually ended up going to vivid in Sydney this year? 
so few. Hey, maybe. Oh, no, there's a few more. I'm just not bold enough. I didn't get there this year, and I think it's because I'm getting a bit older, and I don't want to go out in the cold, and I just can't be bothered. I'd rather stay home next to the heater. Vivid is a festival of what? Light. All the ark is about light. You could say that the Feast of Tabernacles was also a festival of light. Why? Well, because in every street and in every home and in the temple and all over Jerusalem, candles were lit. All over the city of Jerusalem, candles were burning. Light was everywhere. So with all that going on in Jerusalem, before everyone's very eyes, people are seeing light, Jesus says, I am the light. And I wonder if Jesus said this just as the sun had gone down, when the lights were their most bright, most obvious. Jesus says, I am the light. With this simple image, he's saying, I am the Messiah. And this festival that you're celebrating, it's all about me. It's pointing forward to me. I am the one who brings God's salvation, God's provision. I'm the one who saves people out of the darkness of sin and death and God's wrath. If they will just follow me. That is the good news of Jesus then and today. That those who follow Jesus, the light, well, they are saved from darkness. They are given the light of life, which is eternal life. Praise God. But as we've already seen in John's gospel so far, people don't like the light, do they? Back in John chapter 3, John told us the light, Jesus, has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so now the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders do exactly what this verse says. They object to Jesus, they like, they challenge him. And first of all, they challenge his testimony. So have a look at verse 13 with me. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Now, clearly, they knew Jesus was saying something outlandish, right? They had to challenge it. So how could they come up with a way of challenging him? Ah, you're testifying about yourself, Jesus. In the Old Testament law, you needed two or three witnesses to establish a truthful testimony. And so they say, you're the only one saying these things about yourself, Jesus. Why should we believe you? And Jesus' response is remarkable. Not only does he shut them down, he gives us an insight into the Trinity, into the relationship between Father and the Son. So have a look at verse 14. Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I am going. See what he's saying? He says, my testimony is valid because of who I am, because of where I come from. I've come from heaven. I've come from God the Father, and I'm going back there to Him, to heaven. He says, you don't understand this. You don't really know where I'm from or where I'm going. 
You think I'm a country bumpkin from Nazareth, but in fact, I come from God the Father. I am sent by Him. So if I say I'm the light of the world, I'm right, because I have the backing of my Father. But as well as this, look at verse 17. Jesus says, well, you say you need two witnesses. That's the law. Verse 18, here are my witnesses. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Jesus is saying, there are no two better witnesses than these. One, me, the one sent by God the Father, and two, God the Father himself. He has testified about me. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the prophets testified about me, Jesus says, that I am the one that I say I am. Jesus is making outlandish claims again. And God also testified, the Father testified through Jesus' life and miracles. He is the Messiah. But the Jews, they don't get it. They're confused yet again. Verse 19, they say, where is your father? They again think he's talking about his human father. So they say, okay, where is he? We want to check his story. Jesus ramps it up another 10 notches. Look at verse 19. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus is saying two things here. The first thing he's saying is this. He says, God is my father and I am completely united with him. So much so that if you know one, then you know the other. If you know Jesus the son, well then you know the father. And if you know God the Father, well, then you will know and accept Jesus the Son. This is that clear and outlandish teaching that Jesus says. He says, if you know me, you know the God of the universe. I am the way to know God. Which is amazing, isn't it? When you stop and think about it. That we can know the God of the universe. That he has revealed himself to us and made a way for us to know him personally through his son, Jesus. That's the wonder of the gospel. To know Jesus is to know God. And it went the other way as well for the people of Jesus' day. There were faithful Jews at the time of Jesus who, who knew God, who lived for him who had their sins forgiven by faith in him. And when they saw Jesus, when they heard his words, what did they do? They accepted him. They already knew the Father, so they accept the Son. And this leads to the second thing Jesus is saying here to the Jewish leaders. He's saying, because of this, you don't know God. You don't know the very God that you claim to worship. You don't know the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't know and accept me. That's the proof. He sent me, but you reject me. Can you see how offensive that would have been for them? Jesus says, you don't know the God of this temple. He says, you don't know the God 
whose festival you're celebrating. If you don't know the God your very scriptures speak about, if you did, you would accept me. But it seems that perhaps they didn't know what he was even saying because they don't seem to get that upset about it. So they've challenged Jesus' testimony. Now they challenge Jesus' sanity. So have a look at verse 21. Perhaps later that day, Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. What do these words mean? Well, I think when you understand the whole story, you kind of get what he's saying, don't you? When you know that Jesus has come from the Father, from heaven, and that he is going to die and rise again and ascend to the Father's right hand, well, you know that's what he's saying. He's saying to them, I'm going. You will try to find me, but you won't be able to go where I am. And he's saying, you will actually stay here and die in your sins. You will continue living in darkness and unbelief. In verse 22, they're a bit confused. They pick up on the word die that Jesus says, and they say, so is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means? Because where else can he go that we can't go with him? How can we find him? How can we not find him anywhere on this earth? So they wonder if Jesus is not well in his mind. Verse 23, Jesus, he yet again claims to be from above, from God the Father, unlike them. And because he is from above, from heaven, sent by the Father, because they refuse to believe in him, verse 24, they will die in their sins. And then there's this, these words, stark, challenging, confronting. For if you do not believe that I am he, the one I say I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is saying, you will remain unrepentant, unwilling, unwilling to know God, unwilling to know me. And so when you die, your sin will still be with you. They will bear the consequences for their choice. This is Jesus' warning and judgment against them. If you do not believe in me, you will die and face God's wrath for your sin. Now, Jesus spoke these words as a warning, didn't he? A warning that they needed to hear, a warning that we need to hear, that everyone needs to hear. But if we look at his words in reverse, well, we don't see the bad news, we see the good news. Here's what I mean. If not believing in Jesus means you die in your sin, what happens if you do believe in Jesus? What if you do believe he is who he says he is? The good news of God's grace is this. If you believe in Jesus, you will not die. You will live. If you believe in Jesus, you will not die in your sins. You will live free of them. This is the message Jesus has been proclaiming all throughout John's gospel. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. We must never take that for granted. Praise God. And finally, the Jews have had enough, and so they throw their arms up and challenge his very identity. Look at verse 25. 
Who are you, they questioned. Who do you think you are, is really their question, isn't it? And you can begin to see how desperate and exasperated Jesus is. Verse 25, he's like, I've been telling you all along. I am the one sent by the Father. I speak his words. My teaching comes from him. But even his desperation doesn't work. Verse 27, they did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. They didn't get it. They would not believe him. And so Jesus says this striking statement in verse 28. It's the only other proof that he can muster for them. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. What's he talking about? Well, yet again, he's talking about the cross, isn't he? He's talking about that time when the Jewish leaders will lift him up, nailed to a wooden cross. It's a funny way to talk about it, isn't it? Lift it up. That's normally a positive way to speak, isn't it? You lift up praise to God. You lift up someone who is poor and needy. You lift up someone in esteem when they are worthy of honor. Jesus speaks of his crucifixion and death as being lifted up. Why is that? Well, it's because that's where this whole thing is going. That's where the story is headed. That's the hour that Jesus is heading towards. That's the moment when it looks like he is defeated, looks like he is done away with, lifted up to die. That's the moment when he is actually glorious victorious he is lifted up in glory because what he's doing in that moment is the unthinkable he's bringing about the salvation of the world he's paying for the sin of the world he's enduring the wrath of god the father he's going through darkness so that we might have the light of life through him So Jesus says, when this happens, when you lift me up, then you will see that I am who I say I am. Then even a Roman centurion will say, surely this was a righteous man. Verse 28, Jesus says, you will know I am he and that I do nothing on my own. Jesus yet again shows us this relationship of perfect unity he has with the Father. Unity of purpose and person. Jesus is not alone. Look at the verses after that. Jesus is not alone in anything he does. The Father is with him, working with him, giving him his teaching. Jesus, as a faithful son, always does what what pleases the Father. He sinlessly and perfectly obeys the Father. Jesus is the one and only Son of God from the Father full of grace and truth. And this is what we've been seeing across this whole passage, haven't we? Jesus keeps telling us who he is. He keeps answering the challenges by talking about his Father, by talking about his relationship within the Trinity. He is the one with a unique and perfect, united relationship with God the Father. United in person and united in person. 
Everything Jesus does is for God the Father with his approval, with his help. The Father is always working and doing things through Jesus. Together they are working out their plan for the world. The Son of Man will be lifted up for the sin of the world. Those who believe in him, who follow the light, they will be saved. And I think the main response to this passage is really clear, isn't it? Have a look at verse 30. Yet again, we see the crowds seemingly responding rightly. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now next week we'll see how genuine their belief was, but either way, we should respond in that way, shouldn't we? That's how we respond to Jesus in this passage, to the claims that he makes about himself, to that relationship of unity that he has with God the Father. It's to believe in him. To believe that he is who he says he is. Sometimes a passage of the Bible will say, here's the things that you need to do as a Christian. Here's the things you should not do as a Christian. It will teach us what to do and what not to do as followers of Jesus, but not so much this passage. And in fact, not so much lots of John's gospel, I hope you've realized. And that's because John didn't want to leave us a list of things to do. He wanted to leave us with the vision of the man, a glorious man, the most glorious man who has ever been, who would be lifted up for our sin. He wants us to hear the outrageous claims of Jesus and simply believe in him. He wants us to believe what Jesus said about himself, even the hard stuff, and even when it is hard because the world says we're stupid. Because this world, it will continue, it still does today and it always will, it will continue to challenge Jesus' words about himself. They will continue to challenge his testimony, his sanity, his very identity. They will continue to write him off and say he is a fool and so are you for believing in him. But if Jesus really is who he says he is, If he is the only son of God, how can we do anything but believe in him and find the life that he promises? How can we not follow the light and and never walk in darkness again? Well, there's one other thing that we can do. One other thing that is as important. And that's to give all praise and glory to God for our Lord Jesus to praise him for giving us eternal life in Jesus. Let's do that now. God, our Father, we are again amazed by our Lord Jesus. The things that he said that pierced into the hearts of the people that he was speaking to, that confused them and dazzled them, that caused them to struggle to comprehend and struggle to believe. But Father, we thank you that by your Spirit, you have helped us to see them and believe them. Father, we praise you for Jesus, the light of the world. We thank you for bringing out of darkness into his marvelous light. We thank you that we will not die in our sins, but live free from them, because he was lifted up for us.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.